Uh, very grateful to be back. Um, just uh, it's a really blessed time, blessed time of retreat, but um, I'm very happy to be home. Um, I, uh, when I got home on Friday, uh, I actually had an opportunity. Um, Coach Rebo had reached out, and uh, I was able to go and talk to the football team uh, before yesterday they went over to uh, McNeese and, uh, and just wiped the floor with McNeese. So it was really beautiful. Um, so I just want to take credit where credit's due that uh, – <laughs> no, okay. Um, but it was a, uh, it was a blessing uh, for, for me for two reasons. Number one, just the opportunity to be able to go and talk to the guys, but also um, it gave me a chance to kind of give a, 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 first, a first draft of my homily. Uh, and they seem to like it, so if, if they liked it, then hopefully you like it as well. Um, I started by telling them, I, uh, there's a, one of my favorite documentaries that have ever come out was uh, The Last Dance. Um, if, you, if you know what I'm talking about, um, it's a Netflix slash ESPN documentary. Um, it, was about the it was about the 1998 uh, Chicago Bulls team. Um, and what they did was is they kind of showed the career of Michael Jordan and how the Bulls dynasty was kind of built with Scottie Pippen and, and all these different guys. Um, talked about kind of the interesting characters that were involved and just kind of the way the season went. Ten-part documentary came out during COVID, so nobody had anything else going on. And it was just like a, it was a sports fan's dream. Um, I was raised, uh, I was born in 89, so like I was raised in the 90s, so I remember being nine years old and watching that 1998 season play out. And I remember it was, you know, Michael Jordan and, and Scottie Pippen and Ron Harper and Dennis Rodman and Luke Longley was a starting five. And then Steve Kerr and Tony Kukoc were coming in off the bench. And they had other guys that nobody cared about. And they had Phil Jackson was the coach. I, I really like that basketball team. But anyway, um, and LeBron James is not the GOAT. We can have that argument another time, but we're just not going to do it right now. So anyway, um, there was a point, though, in that, in that documentary that, that was just really, really telling of kind of the competitive spirit that Michael Jordan had. Um, and, and so if you know anything about basketball history, um, the Bulls won three times, three championships in a row twice, 91, 92, 93. They didn't win in 94, 95 because Jordan decided to go play baseball. And then they won in 96, 97, 98. When they won the first three, the point guard that played for the Bulls, his name was B.J. Armstrong. By the time 1998 came around, he was on another team, the Charlotte Hornets, um, and he was the starting point guard for the Charlotte Hornets. Well, the Bulls and the Hornets played a playoff series, the Eastern Conference semifinals. It was a, a multi-game series. Anyway, that, that's just got some background. They've gone into game two. B.J. Armstrong's playing against his old team. Three-point lead for the Charlotte Hornets, 74-71, to 71, with just a couple of seconds left. B.J. Armstrong has the ball. He's coming down the court. Just a little bit of time left. He hits a shot at the very end of the game. Now, he pulls up. He hits a shot. Basically, it ices the game. They just won. And he shoots this shot over Michael Jordan. He makes the shot. And once he makes the shot, he looks right at Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player ever to put on shoes, right? Like the greatest basketball player of all time. And he looks at him and goes, boom, right in his face. That was a dumb move. I'm just letting you know, right? He makes his shot, looks at Michael Jordan and the entire Chicago Bulls bench and just goes, boom, like that. And then backs off. They win the game. The Hornets all come out. They cheer and they're excited. They run, out into the, they run off into the tunnel. They go into their locker room. They're celebrating. And once they kind of calm down, one of the veterans on the team looked at him and said, hey, guys, by the way, we just made him mad. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> we, we, we just really 
poke the bear. Get ready. Because he's awake. There's a scene that, fly, that, that shows up right after that in this documentary. Michael Jordan is sitting in front of his locker. He's smoking a cigar. He's playing around with a baseball bat. It's, just a, it's, in, my, it's in my memory. And they had showed him like watching the highlights and just seething. But it's the next day, and somebody asked him, the guy with the camera asked him, says, you mad? And he's just playing with his bat, smoking his cigar, and he looks at him and says, nope, not at all. Am I supposed to be mad? And the guy looks at him and says, well, I mean, like, just he called out your whole bench. And he goes, BJ knows what he did. He knows what he did. He said it's easy to talk trash when you win it. He said the measure of a man is if you can talk trash when you're tied or when you lose it. The measure of a man is if you can talk trash when the score is 0-0 zero, zero, and then back it up. What he was saying in that, what he was saying in that one little scene Really, really powerful. It just shows his competitive spirit. He wasn't worried at all. Needless to say, the next three games, they, they, the Charlotte Hornets didn't have a chance. I think the next game, B.J. Armstrong scored two points in the, in the entire game. One for seven from the field, if I'm not mistaken. It's stupid that I never remember that. But anyway. <laughs> the, the interesting thing, what, what, what Michael Jordan was saying in that, what his, what his competitive spirit, the greatest of all time, the mentality that he had, he knew from a very, very, like, something deep down in his bones, that talk was cheap. He knew for a fact that talk was cheap. It was empty. It was hollow. Trash talk, whenever you're winning, is nothing. It means nothing. Real confidence was it going to be backed up by action. Today's gospel, we see that talk is cheap. Today's gospel, we hear that Jesus is pointing out that just saying I'm going to do something, just saying that this is my faith, just saying that I'm going to do the parts that I'm supposed to do, just using words, talk is cheap if it's not backed up by action. And I'll go so far as to say action can be cheap if we don't know why we're doing it. You know, the interesting thing about today's gospel is that what we're actually getting is we're getting the middle of a conversation. We come in kind of in the middle of this conversation between Jesus and the, and, and, and the scribes and the Pharisees. Like the scribes and the elders had actually approached Jesus before this and were trying to question him. They were trying to kind of challenge him. So Jesus isn't all of a sudden angry at them. What he's doing is he's actually defending himself. Because this is what we actually started with. When he had come into the temple area, the chief priests and the elders of the people approached him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Jesus is in the temple teaching and preaching, doing what he normally did, doing what all the rabbis did. And the chief priests and the elders don't like what he's saying. They don't like the fact that he's more popular than them. 
They don't like the fact that he's being merciful and he's being loving and he has all these great kind of kind of acts and all these kind of these miracles that are taking place that he's growing in popularity and they're not. And he's starting to upset the status quo. So by what authority? What makes you so good? Why is it that you're doing all of this? They come to challenge him. Jesus said to them in reply, I shall ask you one question. And if you answer it for me, then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Where was, John the Bapti- where was John's baptism from? He's talking about John the Baptist. Another person that the scribes and Pharisees didn't like. Another one that the authorities did not like. Because he didn't fit the mold. John was, looked like a crazy man. John was living in the desert, eating bugs and wearing camel's hair. We legitimately hear that. He's eating locusts and wearing camel's hair and he's preaching. And people are coming to him in droves to be baptized. And Jesus said, where was, was, where, was, where was John's baptism from? Was it from heaven or was it from human origin? And they discussed it because they said, if it's from heavenly origin, then why, did we not, why don't we listen to it? But if it's from human origin, then the people that, that followed him and believe in him and know him, they're going to be angry at us and we're not going to be popular anymore. So their response to the scribes and the, the, the scribes and Pharisees' response to Jesus is, well, we don't know. And Jesus said, fine. You don't want to answer? I don't have to answer. That's what sparks today's question. That's what sparks today's parable. They're already on the defensive. They're already coming after Jesus and trying to undercut his authority and trying to embarrass him in front of the people he's teaching. Trying to make a public spectacle out of Jesus and trying to own him, basically. And why don't you just be quiet? And why don't you just sit off? And why don't you just go over there and leave us alone and don't disrupt the status quo? And then Jesus looks at him and says, so I have a question. A man has two sons. And the first son says, he goes to his first son and he says, son, I would need you to go do this. And the son says, I will not. And then he repents and he goes out and listens to his father. The second says, yes, Lord, yes, Dad, I'm going to go and do this, and then doesn't. Who is it that has listened to it? Who is it that has done his father's will? We heard it, right? The first. They're expecting to be compared to John the Baptist, by the way. The context of the conversation would suggest that that the scribes and the Pharisees are expecting to be compared in some way to John the Baptist. And Jesus looks at him and says, prostitutes and tax collectors are entering the kingdom of heaven before you. The public sinners of our culture, the public sinners of our world, the people that everybody knows who they are and what they've done, they are entering heaven before you are. how the tide turns, how, how all of a sudden you came to embarrass me, and who's embarrassed? That's a, that's a heavy, heavy challenge that Jesus puts on him. And what he's saying is, talk and empty action is cheap. 
it means nothing. I, I, I hope that as we hear that, that it can be a challenge to us. I hope that as we hear that kind of exchange, as we hear that place that the, that the scribes and Pharisees are coming from, that for each one of us, I know for me, it, it, it's a challenge, right? There was a question, I remember being at a, uh, I, was, I was running a, a, a Bible study for some couples a few years back, and I remember having this conversation, and, and we were talking, it was just a really good conversation that we were having, and one of the guys in the group, just honest question, he said, you know, it's interesting, I think about this sometimes, Am I Catholic for any other reason than that I was raised in South Louisiana? And it kind of, it, it startled me at first. He said, I think about this from time to time. Like, am I Catholic just because I was raised in South Louisiana and my parents were Catholic and, and their parents were Catholic and, and their parents were Catholic? And they're like, if you don't baptize the baby, you don't get to eat at grandma's house, right? Like, is that the only reason why I'm Catholic? If you had to answer that question, why are you here tonight? Like, why, why, if you had to be honest with yourself, answer that question. Why is it that you're in a church today? Because I'm supposed to. Because I want to receive communion. Because if I don't, my, my mom's going to kill me. <laughs> Hi, yeah, <laughs> right? Like, if we had to answer that question, why is it that this is the faith you proclaim? I think the reason why, like, the reason why I ask that is because if we, if we don't give honest thought, if we don't say a good reason why, then what we're, what we're doing when we come to Mass can become just empty ritual. Can we stand up whenever everybody stands up and sit down when everybody sits down and say the words that everybody else is going to say because it's the things that I was supposed to do and it's the things I've been taught to do and it's, it, it's really, it's just kind of talk and it's just kind of words and it's just kind of movement. It doesn't mean something. Is it the faith that we actually believe? Like when we come to Mass tonight, are we, are we coming to seek a person. Because that's what that's the end goal of our faith. Pope Benedict once said, being you, you've probably heard me say this before, but being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty ideal. Being Christian is the result of an encounter with a person. Being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice. It's not just a list of rules. It's not just a list of things we're supposed to do and not do. It's not just go to Mass on Sunday, don't eat, don't eat meat on Fridays during Lent, and make sure that you pay, pray, pay, and obey, and that's it. That doesn't equal Christianity. Being Christian is not wearing a cross necklace or a Jesus t-shirt. <laughs> or pretending that Caleb has good music on it. I'm sorry. Ooh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway... <laughs> Being Christian is not an ethical choice. 
Being Christian is not the result of a lofty ideal. It's not I just got to be happy all the time and pretend that there's never any problems and I can just pray anything away. You know what? Sometimes life sucks and it's hard. And that's okay. Being Christian is not just being pie in the sky and just happy. Being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty ideal. It's the encounter with a person. It's the encounter with Jesus Christ. And when we come to Mass, that same Jesus Christ is present before us. He's present in the Word that we proclaim. He's present in the sacrament that we receive. So when we come to Mass, the reason why we're here is very simple. His name's Jesus. And He's a person. And that person you can have a relationship with. Because that person died for your sins and rose for your sins, for your sake, so that heaven could be open to you. Not you collectively. You, individually. You, fill in your name. That's why Jesus is given to you, each one of us. If we lose the sight of the person, then our talk becomes cheap. Our action becomes empty. Today, as we come to this Mass, we're coming to meet a person. Very simply. As we come to this Mass, we're, we're, we're coming to meet a person. The same person that we can meet in the Adoration Chapel, the same person that we can meet in our prayer, the same person that we can meet when we're praising God and serving the poor. We're coming to meet a person that we, fall, that we, that we come to know more so that we can love Him more, so that we can serve Him better. Being Christian is not just about coming to Mass on Sunday. It's about knowing our God and loving Him every day. Not just in the walls of this building. But like in, in, in the hard parts of our family, of our job, school, class. May today we, we not fall into the same struggle the same trap that the Pharisees had. Of just feeling like, yeah, you know what? Because I do the things and I have the titles and I, and I have the status and, I, and, and, and this is where I am. Like, like, let's not fall into this, like, the trap to believe that that equals a relationship with God. That our words wouldn't be empty. That our talk wouldn't be cheap but that when we would come to our, our, our when it comes to our faith that, it's, that that we recognize that there's a god who is in love with us who pursues us and who wants a relationship with us that's why we're here that's who we come to tonight as we come to this mass we come to know god more love him more deeply so that we may serve Him more fully.